the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Thursday, May 5th, 2022. I guess it's okay to say it now, just as it's okay to talk of the mental health consequences. The COVID mitigation strategies were a failure with a great deal of social destruction and invidious outcomes. Now, many of us were saying that as early as April 2020, and those many of us were censored, banned, and in the case of some, including the president of branding, Levi Strauss, some lost their jobs. Now, the regime of censorship having won its way, electing a Democratic president, it appears okay to discuss these things. The Talmud asks who is wise. It answers he who sees tomorrow. After all, anyone with eyes, ears, other senses can tell you what's right in front of them or behind them. You would think then that those who got it right early would be getting apologies, perhaps even awards. Of course not, though. We reward the guilty here, just as people can oppose the death penalty for the guilty but approve it for the most innocent of children. We reward the guilty here. Nonetheless, we take the victim as we find him, and the New York Times reports this today, and I quote, Remote learning was a failure, close quote. Let's run through the findings the New York Times is today reporting upon. Those who stayed home in remote learning environments lost 50 percent of their math instruction. I'm not going to keep saying quote unquote. I'm just going to read from the New York Times directly for a few items here. Students learned less if their school was remote than they would have in person. One of the most alarming findings is that school closures will Excuse me. One of the most alarming findings is that school closures widened both economic and racial inequality in learning. Low-income students, as well as black and Latino students, fell further behind over the past two years relative to students who are either high-income, white, or Asian. This will probably be the largest increase in educational inequity in a generation, Tom Kane, an author of a Harvard study told the New York Times. School closures were what economists call a regressive policy, widening inequality by doing the most harm to groups that were already vulnerable. Were many of these problems avoidable? The evidence says that they were. Extended school closures appear to have done much more harm than good, and many school administrators probably could have recognized as much by the fall of 2020. Yeah, if we weren't censored. In places where schools reopened, still in the New York Times, in places where schools reopened in the summer and fall of 2020, the spread of COVID was not noticeably worse than in places where schools remained closed. Schools also reopened in parts of Europe without seeming to spark any outbreaks. In October 2020, a piece in The Atlantic was headlined, Schools Aren't Super Spreaders. And the author of that piece told the New York Times that the evidence was clear even before October 2020. The Washington Post recently profiled a district in Colorado where schools reopened quickly, noting that no children, zero, were hospitalized and many 
thrived. We wanted it to be as normal as possible, Chris Taylor, the president of the school board, said. Hundreds of other districts, especially in liberal communities, instead kept schools closed for over a year. Officials said they were doing so to protect children and especially the most vulnerable children. The effect, however, was the opposite. Okay, that's the end of me quoting the New York Times. So we harmed our children's learning and so much else, namely their brain health. But let's stick to learning a moment. Under a leftist and teacher union mandated set of restrictions that were based on A, ignoring what real education and mental health experts were saying at the time, and B, politics and political posturing, and C, it's uncomfortable uncomfortable to speak about, but let's call it what it is, selfishness, and D, I'll flesh that out in a moment, but it has to do with using children to soothe the paranoia and mental infirmities of adults. So on the learning loss, it's here and it's now, and it was brought to us in a country where already, though we spend nearly $1 trillion on education in this country every year, K through 12, 44% of our fourth graders couldn't read before COVID closures, nearly half of fourth graders in this country. Most education research says if you can't read by third grade, you've got big trouble. 20% of our nation's fourth graders were illiterate in math by the time COVID hit. But that's only one part of the snapshot. Get this. 30% of eighth graders were illiterate in math. Do you realize what that means? It means the longer you stay in elementary school, the worse you perform at your grade level. And so we took all that politicized it, and made it worse, particularly for the economically disadvantaged and racial minorities. The political experts in education were fine with all of this. After all, their salaries are not paid by students or parents. A year and a half into COVID, the head of the union for the second largest school district in the country said, quote, there's no such thing as learning loss. Our kids didn't lose anything, she said. Quote, it's okay that our babies may not have learned all their times tables. They learned resilience. They learned survival. They learned critical thinking skills. They know the difference between a riot and a protest. They know the words insurrection and coup, close quote. Notice first the paternalism we've been worried about so much. The teachers union leaders think the kids are theirs. Of course they do. Joe Biden said it last week. Terry McAuliffe said it last year. And other teacher union heads have said it throughout. As that is what socialist regimes do and think of children. They are parents patriae, where the state is in charge of the children. The state is the child's parent. That is why schools are now happily promoting they will not tell parents what their children are doing or wearing when it comes to sexual thematics. Social education, Karl Marx wrote in the Communist Manifesto, is the first battlefield for the revolution and for disrupting the Western notion of the family. The second thing to note from that teacher union head in Los Angeles when she says our kids didn't lose anything, that's empirically just wrong. I just gave you the stats from the New York Times when it comes to academics. When it comes to mental health, quoting from an article from the American Psychological Association, 71 percent of parents said the pandemic had taken a toll on their child's mental health and 69 percent said it was the worst thing to happen to their child. Not covid but how we handled COVID. 
A national survey found close to a third of students felt depressed much more than usual. Mental health crises are also on the rise. Mental health-related emergency department visits increased 24% for children aged 5 to 11 and 31% for those aged 12 to 17 compared with 2019 emergency department visits, according to the CDC data. According to the Journal of American Medical Association, at emergency rooms, the number of suicide and self-injury cases in the first three quarters of 2021 was nearly 50% higher among 5- to 8-year-olds and 182% higher among 9- to 12-year-olds than they were for the same periods in previous years. But the head of the union is happy to say our children, her children, as she puts it, didn't lose anything. Now, what is it they gained? What is it she is strutting about? Well, she tells us they learned resilience, she said. They learned survival, she said. They learned critical thinking skills, she said. They know the difference between a riot and a protest, she said. They know the words insurrection and coup, she said. Again, all empirically false. They didn't learn resilience and survival if they are increasing their incidences of depression, self-harm and suicide ideation and suicide. They know the difference between a riot and a protest. They know the words insurrection and coup. Do you think it's possible her knowledge of highly charged and indeed legal words is any better than her understanding of conventional words like lose and resilience and critical thinking? And why would she focus on those words? Why, in other words, were the words riot, protest, insurrection, and coup? Why were those the words she was so happy to tell us were the words the children did focus on whilst they were not learning English and math? My goodness, how many adults understand coup and insurrection in the first place? Do you get the hint that maybe, 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 maybe those words come with a political pregnancy aimed in one ideological direction? Their view is it's never too early to train our children. Rogers and Hammerstein said you must start before it's too late, before a kid is six or seven or eight. Here's how the kids learned these words. January 6th was a riot. The BLM protest activities, 30 people killed, buildings and businesses burned, police precincts taken over, federal courthouses firebombed, billions of dollars wrecked. Those were protests and mostly peaceful. In a liberal or perhaps the better word is open society, in an open society, you can internally simply change things without a violent revolution. This has always been the case. The open society is far more susceptible to revolution without blood or bullet than tyrannical societies that oppose open dialogue, critique, dissent, or just simply the vote. Let's pause there for a moment to take appropriate concern that those are the very things, dialogue, critique, dissent, vote, those are the very things the left is going after, the very fundamental rights they are going after, even as they fundraise against a Supreme Court-created fundamental right of 49 years ago that is about to be reconsidered. There's only one fundamental right they care about, evidently. Here's the jig. You don't have to state you hate America here. You can simply change what America is or means, first by distorting its present and then going through slowly and surely enough in revising its past. I give you the 1619 Project as but one example. And this is done all while making sure the designated pupils are numb and dumb enough not to engage in their own critical thinking skills. Why else would Pol Pot destroy reading glasses? No, no need to do this openly. 
Just go after the kids. Start with the children. And do and to do that, start with the schools. And pretty soon you get new generations that have nowhere to go and nothing to oppose the revisionism that has now become catechism. It's Teacher Appreciation Week. We are reminded of that. I've reminded you of that. In that vein, I would like to remind that parents are their children's, emphasizing the word their, their children's, first, best, and all but indispensable teachers. A country not afraid of its people, like a society not afraid of its children, like a government not afraid of dissent, would appreciate parental involvement a little more. It's just now needed more than ever. But of course, we do not have that country. We have a country that is afraid of its people and its children. Just look at how we used children during COVID to soothe the psychological infirmities of adults. We have a country that is afraid of dissent. Just look at why so many think censoring those opposed to liberal left policies should be banned and that Elon Musk is a fascist for wanting nothing more than open debate. We pay, as conservatives, we pay lip service to Ronald Reagan saying freedom can be lost in a generation. We pay lip service to his next sentence where he says freedom is not ours by way of inheritance. It must be fought for and defended constantly by each generation for it comes only once to a people. And those in world history who have known freedom and then lost it have never known it again, he says. Learning loss, folks, it's real. But so is the loss of a lot of other big and important things, too. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Ryan is in Phoenix. Hello, Ryan. Welcome. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for taking my call. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thanks for ringing. This is, I want you to know this is all your fault. Uh, you invited me to call back okay. yesterday. <laughs> okay. I'm the guy who identified as a cowboy. Oh, it wasn't yesterday, was it, Ryan? Yeah, this is several wasn't days it? ago, Ryan. Yeah, no, this oh, this wasn't gosh. yesterday. Yes, no, this is. All right, see, there you yeah, go. There's my yeah, first faux pas. Yeah. Where'd, you, where'd you learn math? <laughs> That's all right. Public school system. That's no, 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 public no, no, school. No, 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 no. We're good. We're good. We're good. Go ahead, sir. Sorry. So I have I have a son who was in the school system during this whole uh, I will say pandemic reaction because I agree with your terminology because I don't think it was a pandemic that that caused all this. It was the reaction to it, and uh, he was a junior in high school yeah. when um, when everything sort of started. And uh, he was a senior in high school when it was culminating to, you know, what it was. Yeah. Um, I think that the mental health issue, I, have, I happen to work in mental health. Okay. And I think that... Have, have you seen an... Expo- are, have you seen an... Uh, I was going to say explosion. That's the wrong word. Have you seen an expansion of needs? Well, forgive me, but I, I work in the support side of mental health. So I, I, I handle... The, the back room. Yeah, I got you. I got yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I'm, I'm support staff, yeah, okay. so I, I don't know. But but I can tell you the talk amongst uh, the people that I do work with is that this was the biggest mistake we've ever made. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> what people are concluding. And, you know, Ryan, uh, Winston Churchill and FDR were talking in the midst of World War II and asked uh, – FDR said, what will this be known? What should we be uh, – what will we be labeling this war? And Churchill said the unnecessary one. Because it was yeah. avoidable, 
It could have been stopped. It was. It could have been stopped. This too. This too. And I and I'm I not agree. talking and so I'm not talking time, about no. the disease from Wuhan. That was coming regardless, okay. right? Go ahead. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I agree completely. That that's in fact I've corrected people many times over the years of saying no, it's our reaction to this disease from Wuhan. It's not the disease from Wuhan that's caused this. It's our reaction to it that has caused all of this turmoil. Ryan, what is the going forward takeaway? What 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 do you do with the knowledge we have? I mean, we tried to get this in the New York Times. We tried to get this in the Washington Post in 2020, 2021. As the New York Times itself is reporting, we knew everything we needed to know at latest by October of 2020, as one of the Harvard experts said probably earlier. What's the, what's the going forward takeaway message? It's not about following the science. That's for sure not it. That's for certain not it. They didn't want to follow the science. I, I, I Honestly, I if I had to break it down to something very simple, it would be – common sense. And I know we've said it a million times, but it's common sense. I mean, we've never done this before. Why would we do this now? We've had the plague. We've had the flu. We've had terrible cases. We haven't... I'm with you on that. And that's what we... And we, we were all saying that. Healthy. My gosh. Yeah, we, yeah were, we haven't quarantined the healthy. Why, right. Why we have never quarantined... Right. All of it. And we were citing um, essays from C.S. Lewis about this stuff in yes. the 40s. Of course, yes. we tried that. We tried the common but, sense. But common sense is hard to come by these days. Common seems, sense is I, outside the mainstream. Common sense is it, no longer in the seems, mainstream in this country. That's my thesis. Agreed. Agreed. And so when it comes, Ryan, when it comes, whether it's from you know my voice or a more significant one, your voice, when common sense comes, it's as if – you know the allegory of the cave in Plato's Republic? You know, you have these these people looking at shadows chained facing a wall, and they think the shadows are reality. Someone escapes, goes outside, sees, my gosh, those people staring at the wall of the cave aren't living in reality. This is reality. He wants to go back in and tell them. What do they do? What do they do? When he goes back to tell them they're not living in reality, he's experienced reality, they try to kill him. That's what they try to do. Wouldn't be the first truth to tell. I mean, that's what happened to Socrates himself. <laughs> Socrates himself, who Plato uh, obviously uh, was writing about in uh, the Republic. This is where we're at. This is where we're at today, Ryan. Common sense is so far out of the mainstream that when you try and cite it, the least they'll do to you, the least, is call you racist and then try and censor you. That's the least they'll do. That's kind of tough. Good rules. Good rules. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. John Dombrowski brings us our culture and economy update at 3.34 today. He is the host of his own radio show right here on 960 AM, The Patriot, every Saturday morning at 7, The Word on Wealth. And he is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is the website. John, how are you today? Fantastic. How are you doing, Seth? Thanks for joining us. Fantastic. Kind of a uh, kind of a stark headline at the Wall Street Journal. Dow declines over 1,000 points in worst day since 2020 over at Yahoo right. Finance. 
Why is the stock market getting thrashed after a rally over the Fed hike that we talked about, uh, what was it, yesterday? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. right. We talked about yesterday how uh, the markets uh, reacted positively to what uh, Fed Chair Powell had said. We're only raising rates a half a percent versus three quarters, which some feared. Uh, and again, we talked a little bit yesterday about those out there, the the doves and the hawks. So I guess let me explain a little bit about that when you hear the uh, hawkish versus dovish, right? Yeah. What does that mean? Well, if you think about the hawkish, uh, the people out there who are hawkish policymakers, well, they tend to focus on controlling inflation uh, as a primary goal of the monetary policy, whereas dovish, more, more uh, concerned with promoting economic growth. So during the last number of years, you had a lot of dovish policies, right? Lowering rates, lowering rates, promoting more economic growth. But now we're at a point to where we're trying to stifle growth a bit trying to control inflation. So uh, there's more of a hawkish kind of a perception now as we're seeing uh, rates rise. And uh, I think after the day, uh, people looked at this and felt, hey, you know what, maybe uh, this wasn't enough after all. And now we see uh, the markets giving back all the gains that they had yesterday and a little bit more even. So it was a tough day for the market. Yeah, Steve Moore, you know Steve Moore. Steve Moore sure. uh, was saying he thinks it's a stretch uh, to call what they did hawkish. And, you know, he points out not only what you were telling us about, John, here with regard to uh, to, to to what the stock market did, but commodity prices rose yesterday, evidently, uh, as I'm reading, meaning a market expectation of continued high inflation is still president, uh, prevalent. But also the gold price rose as well. Gold we've talked a little bit about as a, as a, as a, as a considered hedge against inflation, right? It, it's interesting, right? Because yeah. you look at gold and you think, okay, well, if, if we're in these high inflationary periods right now, over the past month or so, gold has declined fairly uh, – you know, about maybe six, seven percent. Um, so why is that? It's not. It's not necessarily pegged to the inflationary pressures as it has in the past. It doesn't back the dollar anymore, as we know. Um, so it's been a bit of a challenge. Uh, I'm not saying that gold is not something that someone maybe would have in a portfolio, but it it certainly doesn't seem to be reacting as a hedge of inflation, as, as something that we would have believed it, it has been in the past. So it's, it's a difficult time for just about all of the asset classes right now, and it's hard to understand, uh, you know, where we're going with this. Are we still going to be looking for more of a bottom? As of yesterday, things looked like, well, maybe we had a little clearer picture, but, boy, today certainly turned everything upside down. So we have to go back and start to reevaluate again, Seth, where we're going from here. Um, and gold is just another asset class, as real estate is, or as equities are, or bonds are, or commodities are. So uh, there's a lot to think about here, a lot to digest, and I think that's why we're seeing a lot of gyrations right now, trying to understand where we're, where this is all going to lead us to. No, I I appreciate that, and 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 that's that's the way to, that's the way to look at it. The only other thing I was thinking about, you know. John, kind of just a little bit of a of a of a culturally historical perspective. You know, there have been a few heroes who were heads of the Fed in our in our lifetime. We we kind of think well of Volcker, right? Don't we, yep. Paul Volcker? Yep. Paul Volcker. Uh, yeah. We we think we kind of think well of um, 
oh gosh, uh, who was the guy during the uh, during the Clinton and Bush years? Andrea Mitchell's husband. <laughs> I'm uh, blanking on his name, yeah. but anyway. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Looking, I'm looking yeah. at him. I can't, <laughs> I can I can't picture see him. him. Yeah, and yeah. It, I, I, we were not told we would need to know Fed history today. Right. But anyway, I don't. I don't think Powell's going to be in that category, that class. Do you? Uh, well, you know, things are going rather smoothly for the last few. Uh, few years, yeah. but uh, things are getting a little dicey yeah. now. We're going to have to yeah. wait and see how this all falls out and shakes out. Greenspan. Alan Greenspan. We, Alan Greenspan. we weren't going to sleep tonight there until we go. got that. With the big glasses. <laughs> I yeah, remember, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's right. All right. Bless you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Securities and Advisory Services offered to Kleinwood Securities LLC, a member of FINRA, Reciprocate and Investment Advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Kleinwood Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. You're the best. Thank you, John. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. For those of you looking for a great and unique investment opportunity with a wonderful return for investors, I want you to check out my friends at Y-Refi. They are my friends. I've met with them a lot to understand their business model and what they're offering. And it is, as I say, wonderful. I'm talking about a fixed, no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Why Refi helps people who are doing their best to dig out a debt the right way by doing the right thing in paying off their debts and doing so with dignity, even getting their FICO scores fixed along the way. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really great people who are doing very well by helping others. And you can too. I only endorse products like this after a complete review and by getting to know the quality and the ability of the people involved. It's five-star. It's gold standard. What more can I say? How about this? Just go to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. The company is local. You can visit them. And let me tell you, you will not get a sales pitch. They're just happy to talk about what they do. They're in the business of helping people that others won't, and you can B2. Again, go to investyrefi.com or call 855-316-3087 and tell them Seth sent you. All right. Dan is in Cave Creek. Dan, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, good. Uh, how are you? I'm fine. Uh, well, um, something I wanted to ask you about, I heard you say this in your monologue, yes, and I've heard this on other talk radio. Is the they refer you you call the Democrats the Democratic Party, right. and it it just kind of gets me because the word Democratic isn't a noun. They're they're not the Democratic Party, um, and, and it kind of gives them some validation of goodness that they're Democratic when mm. in fact they're quite autocratic. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. What, why why do we as Republicans refer to them that way when they're not. You you raise an interesting question, Dan, and I get asked it, oh, maybe once or twice a year because I do do this and, I, and I'm willing to be talked out of it, but I haven't been talked out of it yet. Let me tell you my reasoning. Um, generally, generally, I will call people what they want to be called, generally speaking. More importantly than that, however, is I like to think of us as being in the conversion business, the evangelism business of bringing people to our side. And I was taught long ago, both in my 
you know, personal interactions and from people I was working with in communications that Democrats or people who affiliate with the Democratic Party or the Democrat Party for the time being, okay, when they hear Republicans speak like that and say Democrat Party, they hear a deliberate distortion to dim, to, make, to to diminish them, to criticize them. They hear it as a criticism that we call them that, that it's our word for them, almost as if it's an epithet. And it tunes them out and turns them off to listening to us and our message and makes it all the harder for us to uh, convert them. Um, that's my reasoning. I don't know if that works for you. If you want to talk me out of it, I'm open to it. <laughs> Well, I mean, just, it's I mean, we cannot run this country with a third of the people. Is all I'm trying to say. Oh, oh, I, oh, I understand that. It's just you know, why don't we as Republicans come up with some nice little cute name for us instead of Republicans? Call us the uh, well. One of the nice things of about being a Republican Party, though, is that um, you know the <laughs> the Democrats do have a word for us. It's fascist. The head of the Democratic Party, Jamie Harrison, said the Republican Party is a fascist party. Okay, they do have a name for us, so it does change some of these equations a little bit. But but the reason I like Republican for us is it reminds people that we, A, are a republic and that the Constitution guarantees to this country and to the states a republican form of government. It's kind of why I like our name. Well, and, 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 and I understand that. Uh, unfortunately, probably if you ask, I don't know, 70, 80 percent of the country define a republic. Yeah, they couldn't. That's right. Um, Could they so define it, a democracy? You know. How would they define a democracy? I guess they probably could define a democracy better than they could define a republic. That's a problem. That's a problem of our education system. We don't teach that oh, we I, live in a republic, even though <laughs> once upon – I don't know. Did you grow up with the Pledge of Allegiance? You would learn the word republic from the Pledge of Allegiance. I think it's out, so republic oh, is out for most of our oh, kids. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I mean that's right in there, to yeah, the republic yeah, for yeah. which it stands. Yeah, well, yeah. OK, yeah, but yeah. – yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. No. We labor under this. I. My. My chief concern is not is not really keeping with the corporate form of what the Democratic or Democrat Party calls themselves. It's mostly about wanting Democrats not to tune my or our message out when they hear what they think is a criticism. It's mostly that. Yeah. Reason. But. But it just seems kind of unfair that their their little nickname seems positive and our little nickname fascist is extremely negative. Oh damn, so why- unfair is the is unfair is so far behind <laughs> is a oh, line, oh, I, oh, I is a line that. that we crossed so long ago. The line is a dot as Joey said on friends. <laughs> unfair? <laughs> you're right. You're right. Um you're you're absolutely and, right and, about and that. In, and in fact, we Republicans have accepted unfair, which is really sad. We really shouldn't accept it. Um you know, because it, it's uh, uh, isn't the Democrats all about fairness? Oh, except when it's not in their best interest. Yeah, I know. I know, Dan. And you're not wrong. Look, here's here's until until someone tells me uh, differently or can convince me differently. Um, I, I want to do as much as I can to bring people who call themselves Democrats into our fold. And whether they identify as a Democrat or a Republican, I really don't care. What I want them to do is vote right. I want them to vote for the right things. Uh, I want them to – and maybe, maybe, maybe we should think about how you know a lot of the European countries do it, our friends in Great Britain or perhaps even Canada, the liberal and conservative parties. The problem with that, of course, is 
the moment I start calling them liberals, we're going to say, really? Everything they stand well, for is about as illiberal as it gets, you know? Yeah. No, and I, and I, and I agree with you. Nothing makes me happier yeah. than, uh, <laughs> yeah. than speaking logic to a <laughs> yeah. Democrat, which is, yeah, which the, is really hard to speak logic so to a let's, Democrat. So let's commit to that. Get, let's commit to that. Let's speak logically and, and, and do our best at that. And in the meantime, um, in the meantime, uh, debate whether they actually, when we get them to debate with us, whether they actually think what they stand for is democratic. Because what they stand for is censoring speech, cabining and curbing the First Amendment, um, saying that expanding voting rights is fascism. Let's engage them in those conversations on the way to them getting to understand that the party they affiliate with, well, it ain't that democratic. Maybe that's the way to go. I appreciate your call, Dan. I hope that made sense. I'm Seth, 602-5080-960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. How many of you ate your fruits and veggies today? Well, if you didn't, what if I told you through balance of nature you could get 10 servings of fruits and veggies in one daily dose of balance of nature's fruits and veggies? A proprietary blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables reduced into capsules using their unique and advanced cold vacuum process where the vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients of the fruits and veggies are preserved so that you can get that vital nutrition in each capsule 100% natural. I'm talking grapes, bananas, apples, cranberries, oranges, aloe vera, cherries, lemon, pineapple, papaya, and that's just a start, and that's just the fruits. I take it every single day, balance of nature, balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Michael is in Phoenix. Hello, Michael. Hey, Seth. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Um, earlier, uh, your your other caller and yourself were talking about how probably 75 or 80 percent of people really don't know the definition of, of, of republic. Right. And and I, I have to agree, too, that I meet very few people who know what it actually means. But it brought to, to mind that I'm 61, and uh, I used to recite the Pledge of Allegiance in school. Yep. They don't do it anymore. Nope. And it's sad. But yep. They don't. But That's where you would learn the, the word republic, by the way, to the republic for which it stands, right? Exactly. But one of the greatest recitations of the Pledge of Allegiance was Red Skelton's. Oh, I don't know it. Oh, my gosh. If you just Google Red Skelton's Pledge of Allegiance, uh, it, it he, he talks about him growing up and reciting the Pledge of Allegiance and a teacher who basically taught them what each and every single word means in the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I'm going I'm to check it out. All right, my break isn't long enough to do it, Michael, but I'm going to thank you for the tip, and um, yeah, and and I'm going to check it out. Uh, I think I can do so tonight. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, I'd if, love to if, do that with, if with you're everyone. Not, I mean, it, it, is, it, it is very profound. It's one of the most beautiful things. I get choked up every time I hear it, I, and I don't get tired of that. hearing it. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 
Thanks for the tip. I love I love Yeah, we'll call this the tip line. Thank you, Michael. That's wonderful. Bless you, sir. Thanks for calling. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.